Hey, welcome back to the podcast. It's your man Kaz. Are you down for the cause or nah? No upset. <laughs> I hope everyone having a great day. Um, I have some information here that just came out about a day ago. Um, I want to kind of just give y'all this information to let you really understand a little bit more about the possibility of life in our solar system. So I found this really, really prominent and interesting because over the last, I'd say around 30 or so years, um, we have gradually up to this point started to actually find more and more planets. And just to think only about 40, 35 some years ago, we had, as far as what they were telling us, which is a complete fucking fabrication in my mind okay (laughs) um they told us that there is no habitable planets outside of our particular galaxy and solar system so for it to genuinely be just 30 years ahead 35 years ahead where we're at now and realizing that we have over 4500 um possibly habitable planets um it's it's quite astonishing now for those who have a difficulty believing in other forms of life, um, aspects of other forms of technology, foreign to Earth, things of this nature, we have to really start understanding this. I have one particular system that is quite bluntly to say, you it, it, it makes it quite clear that if you genuinely don't have a closed mind, you will not be thinking twice about the fact that life exists elsewhere. It is more than possible, and a lot of us have been given this fabrication as we've grown up that Earth is the only planet particularly that was in such perfect alignment that we're the only planet that actually can hold life the way we do Now, the reason why this is kind of funny is because of this. Scientists will always try to downgrade their findings for those that they expose it to as far as the public. And what I mean by this is, out of those 4,500 planets that we have considered habitable over this 30-year span or so, as time's been moving forward, we have 24 of those particular planets out of those 4,500 that are called super habitable planets. Now, just yesterday, we have gotten, basically, scientists have let us know that there's particularly, out of these 4,500, these 24 super habitable planets, and a super habitable planet, by all means, is it possesses, has, and actually can outperform our very planet. Okay, so if you ever, ever come across the term superhabitable when we're talking planets, just know that that planet or those planets that are being considered superhabitable are more so habitable by analysis and everything of that nature than Earth is. Now this makes it quite easy for me 
and anyone who's listening understand at this point that there isn't no way and I want you to, to use common sense and spirituality even as well because both will lead you to the same answer science and spirit will not delay this there is no way that we have 4500 habitable planets and there is no sign of life and on top of that to even narrow it down more there's no way that we have 24 super habitable planets that are damn guaranteed to have the capability or the capacity to sustain life and in no way shape or form in my mind can I believe that it would be able to actually uh, facilitate life okay so the thing is this particular system I'm talking about is called Trappist One okay and this is one of the many out of the 4500 that we are talking about but this particular system is quite unique in this matter because the Trappist One system is basically a red dwarf that is super cool as far as the temperature and is a very very kind of light luminescent red hue that that star gives to the planets that surround it which are seven particular planets um, arranged from Trappist 1b, 1c, 1d, 1e, 1f, 1g, and 1h. These particular planets are so close together that their planets orbit much closer than Mercury does in relation to our sun. In other words, imagine being on a planet, right? And you can look into the sky and you literally can see the all other six planets, depending on whichever one you're on, you can see the other six planets so vividly and so well that your entire horizon actually can hold the full capacity of the planet. So much so, you could see textures, clouds moving from the surface of the planet you're standing on while looking at your neighboring planets. You can literally see mountains. You could see, you would, you, would, you would literally be able to see craft flying. And that'd be in low altitude in a matter of if they had just something as low grade when we're talking technology as a plane like we do here. You would be able to see that from another planet. You could make out flying objects on that damn planet. It's that close. And so much so, actually, that in relation to how close we are to the moon, it's over 20 to 30 percent far, far more closer than it is um, than we are to our moon. So essentially, these planets are so major, man, that our whole horizon would be filled with the planet that neighbors us. And we would still have the ability to see the other planets that also are in this here string of seven that are so close in proximity you know that if you genuinely wanted to take into context the possibility of traveling between planets say for instance taking you know a, a vacation or something or taking um you know say for instance if you had to gather materials from your neighboring planet that aren't abundant on yours 
these things happen. They have to happen at this type of location. And when I say have to, you, your planets are so close. You literally, they share in tandem and are very resonant to each other. So much so that their gravity works in tandem. They work together. You literally could use shared gravity to travel between these planets. Because you are so close together. Now, this red dwarf star is slightly larger than Jupiter while having 84 times Jupiter's mass and is located 39.6 light years from the sun in the constellation Aquarius. All right. Now, if you want to know how a planet is considered habitable, there's two main things. All right. The planet has to have some type of what would be rocky type formation. Okay, it has to have some type of, you know, formation where it's very resemblant to, you know, how we view our world when it comes to the mountains and things of this nature. There have to be a predominant amount of stone, rock, and surface. For this allows one to know you're not genuinely going to fucking go to a planet and drown or something like that, you know, just to say and many other things but it has to be rocky and it has to be in what you would like to call the Goldilocks zone and this is when a planet is in a star's orbit at such a point that it is not getting too hot nor too cold so this basically facilitates the ability for that planet to hold water um, or in general just liquid that is not frozen or boiling okay and with this, we all know that water facilitates life, liquid in general, when we consider, you know, the, the resonance of planets, it facilitates life. Okay, now, I just want you to understand, planets are not habitable when they're in situations like being what you call tidally locked in synchronistic rotation, basically meaning, say, for instance, a star rotates around not excuse me a planet rotates around a star and the particular side of that planet is always exposed on one side to the sun and on the other side it's never exposed to the sun so the only way you'd be able to find life on this particular planet is at the equator where there's a perfect balance of what would be that hot and cold which will facilitate liquid aka water to actually coexist in that area which could possibly facilitate a certain form of life now the thing is with this trappist one is not tidally locked it is in the goldilocks zone of where it's at and all planets all of them are habitable all of them all of them and they all have rocky type surfaces to them and they all have genuinely the ability to, like I said earlier, facilitate a resonant relationship with one another. Gravitation, gravitation, you know, um, is all in tandem. So I want you to realize just that alone, okay? As we look at these particular 4,500 planets, one in five are habitable, okay? Now, Considering that we have seven planets surrounding one dwarf star and every single one is habitable, 
how hard do you ha- does one have to think to that's that's just it's it's common sense, man. <laughs> it's it's common sense here. Um, it's quite clear that we have to understand that there is in no way, shape, or form that not one of those planets can facilitate life. It just by all accounts of logic and even spiritual conception and trying to birth an idea of how that would be possible is not very difficult. Not difficult at all. So it's very important for us to know that we live in a very, very, very lively universe man and we are not at all alone out here I will say it without assumption if you use science as well as common sense and even use spiritual principles to understand this here it literally make it, it answers itself so considering how these planets work. I want you to go about your day and understand now that this is not the only particular habitable section or sector in our universe that has such a phenomenon occurring where there's seven planets moving in tandem um, with their gravitation and that they are in the Goldilocks zone in relationship to the red dwarf star that they orbit. And genuinely understanding that to know that that red dwarf star is slightly larger than Jupiter and has 84 times Jupiter's mass and only located 39.6 light years away from the sun in the constellation that it occupies. There's life all in that. That's just just all it's common sense. It's just life sprawled every. Okay, excuse my language, but it's it excites me to know. As I've been told in school, as a lot of us have been told by the conditions we've been basically brought up in, that there is no other planet that can facilitate this type of life. But all of us know there's this common sense that that it clicks within us that's like, that's impossible. Even if one genuinely wants to not believe, it's very hard to deny what is right in front of you as far as everything is being provided here to say we're alone would be a crisis I want you to think about this real quick you see the whole aspect of us knowing or wanting to be privy to other forms of life in our universe is something that every human genuinely at one time or another is genuinely thinking about. There is just no way um, we go about our own lives without questioning the existence of something else that isn't here. When you can look up in the sky and see countless stars. And it just makes it more prevalent that we know The aspects of our connection to the universe, the most high, 
and utilizing science to understand what's already commonly understood through spirit makes us believe we have this this planet that genuinely isn't the best in the whole universe because we're not there are planets that because this is just the beginning I mean this study was just done and that's what they're providing us and you already know that a lot of the information that is given is has already been circulated and given out before it hits media and before it hits public ear but what point I'm trying to make is is that it shouldn't have mattered for those who have a serious understanding that they genuinely are not the only source of life in this universe because we ain't even talking galaxy at this point because y'all we got to really understand the galaxy's big enough when we're talking about looking for forms of life and for us to to jump the gun and really be like we're the only ones in the universe is is a fall safe That's a fall safe. And just like in 2017 when we had those two leaked uh, videos dictating basically these, these craft that were moving at what you would call to be hyperphysics, superphysics. They had basically gotten to a point where the aspects of what we learned about our craft and how we create our stuff is in no way shape or form on that level of these crafts that were in those two videos and you even had the government come out and confirm that these two videos are authentic and they have no way of confirming what those objects were and these are not the only videos clearly and these are not the only documents. We have many, many documents that are even more significant than those two videos that are out and about. Um, it's, it's just too clear. When you look at that, I just want you to realize this. And we're talking about the importance of craft and getting around. And us being so amazed by what we like to call UFOs and USOs. When these craft are really operating in a way that we genuinely as humans cannot understand, we have to realize one simple thing. Regardless how much you want to believe it or not, that the source of a lot of these crafts, if not a majority of all of them, are made of particular materials that do not naturally occur on our planet. And that's the difference of why it's so difficult for us to actually accept that there is something moving at such a speed because with that ideology of believing that we were the main planet that could facilitate life I feel it gives humans this this false safe yet again mentally where we believe that it's okay to think that we're the only planet that has these certain type of resources to make these certain type of craft that that's totally whack that's that's totally out of whack and makes no sense 
when you think about even our own planets in our system, regardless if we can travel to them or not, or if they're habitable or not, they're all made of different materials that, no matter how you feel about it, could facilitate the creation of a new device. Now, when you think about how these devices operate on our planet, they make our shit look ignorant. And it's not only the devices. It's the simple aspect of we genuinely don't like to accept that we're we're not all that. And this is going back to the to aspects of the human psyche not being at the ready to accept that which you know is very difficult to to understand. And when it comes to the Trappist One system, that is one of those things that's very difficult for a lot of humans to understand. Because it's simple. The, the proof is in the pudding in the sense it's, it's all there. It all makes sense. And when you think about, just on a side note, the tribe in Africa, they go by the Dogon, have specialized in remote viewing, using basically spiritual principles to remote view and track stars in our solar system that even telescopes have not traced yet. To the point where scientists had to go and contact the Dogon to find out how they knew about the existence of a particular star hundreds if not thousands of years before we did and we were sitting here with telescopes looking everywhere. We have to understand that our connection to things are a bit different than what we'd like to accept and maybe this very acceptance is what most other planets if they do have life that is intellectual as we are to question their own existence Maybe this is why these particular beings have exceeded our expectations as far as the ones we set for our damn self. Because humans here lack the aspect of understanding the connection that they have to the planet you're standing on. We start to, we really believe that we genuinely are like privileged out here. That this planet just is genuinely it's just a playing ground for me. And looking at it from that, that standpoint has caused, I believe, a lot of malfunctioning in the brain when it comes to accepting even a possibility of true life on other planets and even true life of other species when they even come in our orbit. Without question, we have countless countless documents, countless first-hand um, confessions made of people seeing, people interacting, people literally finding debris of what we call UFOs and USOs that are made of things that have little to nothing to do with the connection with what materials and elements we have to work with here on our planet. So, we have to facilitate this understanding that we are not alone, not just for 
science. It's, it's common sense. And if we have tribes like the Dogon and other civilizations around that were known to be tracking stars, being in contact with things that had nothing to do with this planet without having telescopes and things of this nature, we have to start to understand there's a different way that connection works here. Our planets are all working in tandem, no matter how far or close they are. And as you know, this connection here can facilitate a lot of the understanding that maybe other beings have when they perceive us. So why do you think beings, when, when you talk about um, those who ask the question, oh, why have a uh, quote unquote, I stress quote unquote, aliens have not shown themselves or this and this and that. In my personal recounts and what I've studied and what I accept to be the truth, there is no way you, no one has not ran into one yet. And even by accounts that have been made and things of this nature, it's, it's quite clear that there's, there's been other beings here at some point. At multiple points, actually. And this is not just this millennia, not just this time. We're talking thousands all the way up to millions of years ago when we had the first of us here contacting things that were not around our planet utilizing what we genuinely could build out of it they they had something of their own is what I'm saying coming here to facilitate us to get on higher levels and these are coming from not only federal documents but also folk tales and passed down stories from tribes so when we think about it why do you think ain't no one seeing nothing and only those that see genuinely be the ones who actually believe that there's something else out there. Why do you think that is the case? When you break out of logic, you start to realize that obviously there's a higher concept of the connection, like I was saying recently, right? And prior. This is a spiritual, more kinetic, more biofield, auric type connection that we have with each other on the planet being on the same planet but also we have connection with other planets and the beings on other planets just being alive life is the number one sign of relativity so when we think of this we have to understand our, our relativity to that which we call to be earth we cannot look at it like it's inanimate because it is not. It is very alive and we know it's alive. But it's very scary for humans to accept this who do not know the capacity that they themselves possess. So if I'm in that state, it's very easy for me to look at TRAPPIST-1 and believe that there's no chance, no way, shape, or form that life could truly exist on these planets. But the reluctance of the mind makes you say, it's possible. And this goes back to the fall safe. We would like to believe we're the only ones to feel we still have control. And when you think about that control that we particularly would like to have, it's coming from fear. And as they tell you, dogs can smell fear. 
Animals can smell fear. We can sense fear. Our damn self. Why would you not think a being that is on an understanding of this, fully accepting of this, no matter how positive or negative, their own influence, why the hell would you see them? It makes no... It. Of course you wouldn't. It could be standing right in front of you. And there's some people who genuinely would still not accept it just to save their mental. So it is very, very critical for us to know that our evolution actually comes not only through just how we interpret our world and how we treat, you know, the planet and how we doing this and that. It literally genuinely comes a major part from our acceptance of what we have not seen to be possible here. So then we can actually make way for other possibilities to, to enter our realm of existence when it comes to this. So, let Trappist 1 be a good example on what happens when you actually take some time out and realize that we are not alone out here and that we have a lot of evidence that shows. And just also know that Trappist 1 is just one system amongst 4,500 particular other hab habitable stars, which one in five are absolutely habitable and can sustain life due to the presence of water. Water ain't the fucking, we, we ain't the only people with water. We ain't the only people who can, who, who, who got what we got here. But thinking like that makes it easier for us to feel that we can destroy everything. It makes it easier for us to believe that, oh, well, this is the end, and after this, nothing exists. Why do you think these mind states exist? And why do you think the government feeds you this very information, even as of yesterday? Did this very research on these 4,500 planets, concluded 24 of them are super habitable, not just habitable, super habitable and still had the nerve to tell us all that it's only possible that they have life we have to understand we've been told that we're alone in every literal capacity from literally the day we've been born we've been told we were alone and what do you think that does to the psyche Genuinely, what do you think it does? If I, it's, it's the same capacity if, okay, it's the same capacity if I'm, if I'm a, a high schooler, right? Or I'm a middle schooler, I'm in school anyway, right? I'm in school and I feel left out. And I'm trying to make friends and this, this, and that. And I'm failing at doing so. Does that mean I don't exist? That's the question we got to answer here. Does that mean I don't exist? Of course not. I'm very much aware. I'm very much alive. I'm very much conscious. Just because someone else doesn't verify my existence, though, doesn't take away from me being alive. That's how we've been taught to view other life 
and other potential planets, other potential life forms, other technology, other forms of convention as far as our life goes. Makes no sense, does it? There is no way we can sit here and say we know so much about ourselves and conclude that there's nothing else just because we're so centered on us. We have to understand there's other kids out here in this quote-unquote classroom that we call the universe. An open space, totally willing and ready to communicate with us. But we have the nerve to believe that we don't need to because our level is, is up here and theirs is down here. And it ain't because it actually is. It's due to the fact of the fear of getting to know you. The fear of the relations of meeting and talking to someone and contacting someone you do not know. This is all simple stuff. But with this finding being um, very interesting to me, I felt I had to put this out. And I feel anyone who really wants to know more about this, definitely look into Trappist um, 1 and all seven planets within the grasp of the Red Dwarf Star that they are around. It's, it's just one example for us to start to understand as time goes on, it don't have to be in our lifetime or not. Believe me, there's going to be a lot of this put to the forefront. There will be a lot of these things that we would like to not want answered. We're not going to have to worry about wanting them answered. They're going to get answered for us. And that's, that's the cool thing about this is that if you're already on a level where you have a sense of acceptance, you're going to already be ahead in understanding, understanding and overstanding this here criteria. So this has been Kaz. Thanks for visiting Wind of Erudition. All we do is wisp the knowledge around you and mean to blow you away. Enough said. Keep your soul, keep your soul light. Keep yourself strong and keep your beliefs wide. Guys, have a great day and a beautiful evening. A wonderful night.